0: You got saved and you realized that. When you comprehended that truth, not guilty. Just a ah, sigh of relief. Not guilty. And perhaps there's somebody here that is guilty that's never been forgiven. You have a chance to respond to, to the Lord this, this morning. If you could take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter number 23. Please be in prayer for, for, for the Furies, Pastor Anita. As uh, Ida's father-in-law George has passed away, and uh, they're gone to Texas to be with the family and plan out some arrangements there, so be with them. Children, you are dismissed. Go to junior church. Be in prayer for the family; they'd appreciate it. Luke chapter number twenty-three. Going to begin reading in verse thirty-two. Luke 23, verse 32. Verse 32 says this. And there were also two other malefactors led with him to be put to death. But when they were come to the place, which is called Calvary, there they crucified him. And the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left hand, then said Jesus, Father, Forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiments and cast lots. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I ask as we open up your word, your holy word this morning, that the Spirit would lead, the Spirit would speak, the Spirit would penetrate down to our hearts. We Thank you for the music, Lord, that has prepared the heart to receive your word. And I ask this time, God, that you would use me The Holy Spirit would penetrate my heart to tell me what to do, tell me where to go, and that we would just be submissive to what you'd have for us here this morning. I ask, Lord, if there's somebody here that's been struggling with the thought of salvation, where they're going to go when they pass away, that they would get that straightened and taken care of today. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Here in this passage of scripture, a lot has taken place in the past 24 hours or so. The Garden of Gethsemane, the pleading with the Father, the sweat drops of blood had already taken place. The betrayal of Judas, the the judgment hall, the cries from the crowd, crucify him, crucify him. The scourging with the cat of nine tails has already come to pass at this point. The road to Calvary, Jesus bearing his cross, he has already traveled. The crown of thorns, The nails in his hands and in his feet, it's already happened. The hoisting up of the cross is now happening as she sinks into earth's hole to stay upright. And hangs the Savior on the cross, they're hanging. Seven is a number of perfection, God's perfect number. It took God six days to create the the world, and on the seventh, he rested to complete his work. Seven days. Jesus is now coming to the end of his earthly ministry, and we now see Jesus having seven cries from the cross. found it interesting that it took God seven days to create the world, but it took the Lord 33 days leading up to really this point to redeem it. Today, we're going to be looking at the seven cries from the cross. And here in this passage of scripture, we're looking at the very first cry. And that's the cry of forgive. Look at verse 34. As Jesus says here, Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Forgive them. Now, if you take offense, uh, if somebody offends you, Uh, maybe emotionally or, or maybe hurts you physically. What is, and your very first response would be that of anger. And really, it's the first five minutes of an offense that you need, you need to step back and you need to cool down and approach it later. And that's the time that we're most prone to get angry and to lash out when, when that offense first takes place and we're in the heat of the moment. Well, Jesus here is in the heat of the moment. I mean, they've, they've nailed him and they've now sunk him into the ground and he's upright and he's feeling the gravity of the nails and the crown and all these things are coming to, to pass upon his body physically and he doesn't respond with anger, he responds with this, forgiveness. Mind-boggling, isn't it? The very first cry Jesus had on the cross out of the seven was unfathomable forgiveness. Think about that. Consider the context here he is being betrayed by a man and mocked, and yet he's saying, Father, forgive them. And forgiveness is not possible through going to church. Forgiveness is not possible by being baptized or giving or being religious. Forgiveness is only possible through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. There is no other, there's no other way. There's no other there are means to get forgiveness of sins. There's many other de- religions, there's many other denominations that teach a different avenue of forgiveness. Hindus and different things need to hike up a mountain or, or they need to wash in a river or they need to get as high up as they can elevate themselves in a mountain to God to be closer to receive forgiveness. But the Bible teaches that forgiveness, being wiped clean, a new slate, is only possible through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Maybe you've been wondering about that and it's pretty elementary, but maybe you're wondering about that. Maybe there's somebody viewing right now wondering about that. How can I be set free? How can I be forgiven? How can I be released from this heavy weight? It's only possible through the blood of Jesus Christ. And 1 Peter one eighteen says this, for as much as ye you know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation re- received by tradition of your fathers. And then it says, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. Consider the cross, the context, but consider the cross. Consider consider what is taking place here, the shame that comes along with the cross and all the the blood that was accompanied with the cross. Uh, it, It was just not a nice scene. And Jesus, and I've said this before, changed the image of the cross we look at the cross now as a symbol of hope and it certainly reminds us of his sacrifice but we look to it as what Jesus did and what he accomplished on the cross but before Jesus ever died on the cross we would have never worn uh, an image of a cross around our neck we would have never uh, had it uh, posted up here or there as a as a symbol of hope and as a reminder of, of Jesus. But when Jesus died on the cross, he radically changed the image of the cross to not necessarily uh, that of 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 well of of also torture, but also of hope and of freedom and of payment from our sins. What he did on the cross. Well, when you think about that, and we were just singing about about uh, not guilty. Uh, he paid the price uh, that we could walk free. And, and when you think about that, has it penetrated down to the depths of your heart? Because that's really what it comes down. That's the bottom line. Has it in, impacted your life? The cross. Um, have you recognized your need for forgiveness? Have you recognized your need for forgiveness? Uh you, you may say, well, you know, I'm I'm a pretty good person. Uh compared to my family member, I'm doing pretty good. Compared to my neighbor, I'm doing pretty good. Uh I I you know, I shovel the driveway to my to my neighbors, I, I cut the grass, I, I do these good deeds, I do these good things. And really I, I could say that maybe you could say, I'm a good person. We're Canadian, we're polite, we're we're a good people, you would say. And you know, as a new believer, I we struggled with Romans 3.12, where it says, and they are all gone out of the way. They are all become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. I, I when I first read that verse, I struggled. I didn't really understand it. There is none that doeth good. There's, there's nobody that's good. And I begin to think, God, I, I feel like I'm pretty good. I feel like I've helped the community and I've maybe even helped the elderly and I I feel like like I'm a pretty good person but yet the Bible's saying that there's none that doeth good, no, not one. But you gotta consider the comparison. I was comparing myself with my fellow man. And comparing yourself or myself with fellow man, you could come out looking pretty good because you're comparing it with fallible people. But, When we compare ourselves with God, because at the end of the day, that's all that matters. When we compare ourselves with God, how do we look? And you may say, surely God gave us some sort of moral indicator, some sort of measuring stick on how we could measure our lives to see how we're doing in God's eyes. In fact, he did. A long time ago, he took care of that. He gave us the Ten Commandments. In the Bible, I'm not even going to read all of the Ten Commandments. I'm going to read five of the Ten Commandments, and you could do a self-assessment on how you're doing in God's eyes. We'll start at number five. Honor, thou shalt honor thy father and thy mother. Go clean your room as a kid, right? Go clean your room. No, not now. I don't want to eat that, ma. Different things over the years how we've disobeyed our parents. We've not honored our parents. And I'm sure that everybody in this room could say, check me off or cross out that one. I failed that one. So one out of one. Number, the, the next one, number six. Uh, thou shalt not murder. Murder. You say maybe I've never murdered or have you ever thought of it in your heart? <laughs> you don't tell anybody that. Um, thou shalt not commit Adultery. Thou shall not commit adultery. No, Jesus took it a step further. He said, if you've looked on a woman with lust, you've committed it already in your heart. So, so have you ever thought about it? Have you ever looked on somebody the way that you shouldn't look? X that one out. Thou shall not steal. Even a five-cent candy is called stealing. I'm sure we've all done that. Thou shall not bear false witness. In other words, no lying. You ever told, told a lie? Even a, even a little white lie? X yourself out on that. Thou shall not covet. Ever see somebody that has something, you want it because they have it, and you, you want more, and you want more, and you want to hoard, and you want to do different things? Thou shall not covet. X that one out. So how, how are we doing in God's eyes now? Not so good. Not so good. So, so then we look to Jesus and, and we're illuminated with the thought that we need God and we need an intervention and we need forgiveness. And Jesus cries on the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. They don't know what they're doing, Lord. That Roman soldier that put that nail in my hand and those people that mock me and say, come down, you, were, you, you said you could save others, save yourself, Lord, forgive them. Forgive you. The Bible even says in James 2 and 8, whosoever shall keep the whole law, yet offend in one point, is guilty of them all. That's some high standards to keep. You know, the Ten Commandments were made so not so that we could keep them because God already knew that no human being could do such a thing. They were designed and made to show us of our need for redemption. The Bible even says in Galatians 3.24, wherefore the law is our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. So, so the need of forgiveness and being right from, with God is not necessarily being able to keep the Ten Commandments because we cannot. Our, our way to receive redemption is to look to Jesus Christ, the finished work that he has done, and ask him to save us. Ask him to forgive us. And ask him and bring us to him that we might be justified by faith, not by doing some sort of act. Cry number two, was that of forgive? Was that of forgive? If we go over a couple of verses, over to verse 39, Luke 23 and verse 39. It says this, and the one of the male factors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be the Christ, save thyself and us. But the other, answering, rebuked him, saying, Dost thou not fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward for our deeds, but this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, verily I say unto thee, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. I mean, talk about uh, an intervention at the very last moment of your life. Today thou shalt be with me. In paradise. You know, salvation is is not offered to individuals upon what they do, but anybody willing to receive it here this morning or viewing or anybody in the world. Some, though, may have questioned the saying of Jesus on the cross, this particular saying, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. They they may have been watching and may, may have been knowing the history of this thief on the cross, and maybe perhaps they said, Jesus must not know. Who this man is? Uh, Jesus must not understand what this man has done for him to say, "Come to me, come with me in paradise. You'll be with me." <laughs> Jesus must not understand. It's a little too late for this man to turn around his life. Um, they they may have questioned that, but Jesus, knowing all things, the Bible says he knows everything. He knew who this man was, and perhaps you may be even saying the same thing about yourself or somebody that you know. Uh, you know, God can't save him. God can't save me for the things that I've done. I'm beyond redemption. If that man on the cross lived a wicked life, but yet at the last moment turned his life over to the Lord Jesus Christ and God said, Jesus said, you're coming with me to paradise? Certainly he could save you. Now, you may say, well, then I will do that at the very last moment, the very last breath of my life. I will ask God to save me and he'll save me. The thing is, you may not get that opportunity because death comes quickly. Death comes, is certain. and We don't know when the day is. We don't know uh, when it will happen. But what was the thief on the cross saying when he said, Lord, remember me when thou comest to thy kingdom? First of all, he approached Jesus as Lord. You notice in that verse right there. Lord. That's, in other words, that supreme authority, the one who is in control, Lord. And you first need to recognize if you're not saved this morning, he's Lord, amen? Jesus Christ is Lord, supreme authority. There's nobody higher than him. And the Bible says that at the name of Jesus, Every knee shall bow of things of heaven and things of earth and things under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Here's the thing. You can, bow, you can bow now here on earth, willingly, or you can bow before the throne. But when you bow before the throne, if you've not bowed here on earth, it'll be too late. It'll be too late. Have you bowed the knee to Jesus... Have you bowed the knee to Jesus Christ? If, you're not say, if you are saved here this morning, you're just going to have to bear with me here. But have you bowed the knee to Jesus Christ? Has there been a time where you've recognized him as supreme authority? Nobody higher, nobody holier, nobody can forgive you, nobody that can save you, other than the name of Jesus? He had a saving faith, a saving faith. Of who Jesus is and what he can do. In other words, I believed what he was basically saying was, Lord, you're the one who's in control. You're holy. You're the one that could save me. Remember me. In other words, Lord, you can get me where I need to go. I want to remind you with that thought this morning. The Lord can get you where you need to go. Maybe, Maybe, well, of course, salvation. But maybe you're already saved. Maybe you're already a Christian. And you're wondering. And there's something in your life, perhaps, that you're just... You're just not sure if, if you'll be able to do it or, or there's just uncertainty, you're lacking faith. I want to remind you this morning, the Lord can get you where you need to go. Do you have a belief in Jesus or do you have a saving faith? You know, there's a difference. And I, I really believe that it's really all summed up in John 1.12 where it says, but as many as received him, To them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. You may say this I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. I believe in the Bible. Are you saved? The Bible says the devil, the demons do believe and do tremble. Uh, In other words, let's use this as an example. You can believe that I am going to give you this water bottle. And this is kind of like religion religion is this I'm looking, I'm watching. I'm observing. But many people that are religious don't actually have a personal relationship with Jesus. And it all comes down to, do you believe God or have you received Christ? But as many as believed, but as many as uh, the Bible says, but as as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Is all those that are willing to say, Jesus, I'm coming to you in faith, save me. You're receiving Jesus Christ as your personal savior. The Bible says that there is power. The Bible says that um, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. In other words, family. You become part of God's family and there's a, a powerful transaction that is made when somebody turns their life over to Christ that a citizenship, a spiritual citizenship is changed. No longer hell, but heaven-bound. It's so powerful that even in heaven, the angels rejoice, the Bible says. Number three, cry number three, was that of family? Was that of family? Now go over to John 19. John 19 and verse 25, it says this. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and his disciple standing by whom he loved, he saith unto that his, his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then said he to his disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour the disciple took her in unto his own home. That of family. Now those those of uh, maybe of a Catholic faith may not be a, a real big fan of verse 25, when, when, when Jesus says, woman, behold thy son. But I don't believe Jesus meant any disrespect by calling his mother woman. Rather, Jesus cared enough to tie up some loose ends before his departure, so he trans he's transitioned a task to his disciple, John, to take care of his mother and to act as a son to Mary. It reminded me of this simple thought. The Lord sure is good at tying up loose ends, isn't he? The Lord sure is good at tying up some loose ends. You may say, uh, you know, maybe a story in your life, I, and I hear story after story after story of people saying, I didn't know how to do this, I didn't know what to do, but God just seemed to work it out, especially as we give to God, especially as we sacrificially give to God. I don't know how I'm gonna make it, I don't know how I'm going to pay the bills, but God seems to just supernaturally make something happen to work it out uh, for our benefit, to help us. He sure is good at tying up some loose ends. I'm sure you're thinking of a story right now in your own life where you could say, I didn't know what was going on, but God did. And I'm looking back at it, and I see the whole book of that story, the whole chapter of that story written, and I say, God sure is good at tying up loose ends. He's on the cross, and he's saying, "I I need my mother to be taken care of. He cares for the sparrows. He feeds them. Surely he'll feed us. Don't be, don't be uh, scared of what's taking place in the world today with inflation. Don't be scared of uh, what's taking place with the unknown of, of uh, you know, the globe. Don't be scared. Don't let that hinder you. God will take care of you because he sure is good at tying up some loose ends. Number four, Mark 15. Turn there, please. Mark 15, number four, is that of forsaken. Forsaken. Mark 15 and verse 33 says this. And when the sixth hour was come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. In the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Elo, Elo, lama Sabathana," which is interpreted, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Now think about this. We will never know what that is like. We will never experience God's hand of being forsaken upon our lives. Because Jesus bore that already. We will never know what it's like for God to turn his face away upon us. Because, one, because over 2,000 years ago, God put all of our sin on Jesus And he forsook Jesus so that he will never have to forsake us. What what a thought. I don't know about you this morning, but what a humbling thought that the spotless Lamb of God would be forsaken so that we will never be forsaken. Why? He looks up to, to God. Why have thou forsaken me? You could put your name there. Jesus had to go through it. But all believers will never know what that is like. In Hebrews 13 and verse 5 it says, Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. Psalm thirty four twenty five says, I have been young, and now am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. Corinthians, Paul pens in Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 9, persecuted, but not forsaken, cast down, but not destroyed. One of the most moving cries of the cross, in my opinion, is when Jesus says, why? Why have you forsaken me? Forsaken literally means to be deserted, abandoned, or left behind. He hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Number five was that of fulfillment. The fifth cry of the cross was that of fulfillment. Go over to John 19. Back over to John 19. they are going to be in the four Gospels today. Or in the Gospels, I should say. Um, John 19 and verse 28. It says this. After this... Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, uh, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now there was a there was set of uh, vessel of full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put hyssop upon it and put it to his mouth. Verse 28. And after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, he knew the prophecies. He knew that w- what was taking place, and he knew what was coming after. When he said, I thirst, he knew he, after that, directly after that, he'd get vinegar. Now, could you imagine having vinegar put to your mouth at such a time as this? Open wounds. And I'm sure cracks on the lips because the dehydration must have been sucking out every ounce of moisture he had, the blood loss and the open wounds and different things. And they, they put that to his mouth. And they, they shove it in his mouth and it pours down his body and the, the, the extra sting that was taking place. Jesus was given liquid to drink two times on the cross. Firstly, in Matthew 27, verse 34, it says, and they gave him vinegar to drink mingled with gall. And when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. This painkiller, he refused it. He tasted what it was and he, he wouldn't do it. Secondly, we read here, In verse 28, after this, Jesus, knowing all things were accomplished, that the scriptures might be fulfilled, saying, I thirst. And so there was a vessel set before him and he took of that and they gave him vinegar to drink. He knew the prophecies and there was prophecies written about this. Prophecies like uh, Psalm 69 and verse 21 where it says, and they gave me also gall for my meat and in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. He knew that uh, what would take place after he drank, and it, it would be that of pain. In the Beatitudes, it says this: in Matthew six or uh, Matthew five and verse six, it says, "Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled." Just a simple thought here: what are you thirsting for? What what gets you going? What uh, lights lights your candle? Uh, you know, what is your desire in life? What is your thirst? God desires for his children to say this. I want to thirst after righteousness. I want to thirst. I want to thirst after God. I want to desire to hear from God. When is the last time that you went without reading your Bible and you thirsted to read your Bible? You, you, you missed reading your Bible. You desired to hear from God. You, you missed that time. Are you thirsty? Are you thirsty? Ask God to, to, to make you thirsty for the things of him and he will. And my favorite cry of the cross is number six, finished. Number six, finished. Here in John 19 and verse 30, he fulfills this prophecy. And when he fulfills the prophecy in verse 30, it says, when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished and bowed his head and gave up the ghost. It is finished. My favorite, my personal favorite cry of the cross, What is finished? You may say, What is finished? The persecution of the enemy is now going out of the reach of the wicked one and the troubles shall cease. What is finished? You may ask. His suffering fulfilled. The cup has been removed. It is finished. All the Old Testament prophecies which pointed to the sufferings of Christ. It is finished. What is finished? The ceremonial law. All the shadows are done away with. Now the veil is rent, the wall of partition taken down, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances. It is finished. What is finished? Sin is defeated by the bringing of an everlasting covenant. By, the Bible says in Romans 9 and verse 26, for then must he had often suffered since the foundation of the world, that now once in the world... Hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself? What is finished? That is his life on earth is now finished. His course is complete. Full atonement. It is finished. What is finished? That is man's work of redemption. The salvation is now complete. Full satisfaction is made to the justice of God. A fatal blow given to the power of Satan. A fountain of grace open that shall ever flow. A fountain of peace and happiness is laid, shall never fail. Christ had now gone through his work and it is finished. Amen. John seventeen four says, and God glorified thee on earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. Guilty, vile, and helpless we. Spotless lamb of God was he. Full atonement can it be. Hallelujah, what a savior. Lifted up was he to die. It is finished was his cry. Now in heaven, exalted high. Hallelujah, what a savior. And then the last cry of the cross is found in Luke 23. Go over to Luke 23. And it's that of faith. Luke 23, in verse 46, says this, when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, Father, he said, Father, into thy hands commend my spirit. And having thus said, he gave up the ghost. Is that of faith. Father, here it is, and take it. Jesus was the one in control. It even says in Psalms 34, a prophecy, into thine hand com- commit thy spirit. Thou hast redeemed me, O Lord of God of truth. And think about this. If God, if Jesus Christ was in control of his own life, to give it up at his own will, how much more reputable is, is he to be able to take control of our life and, and, and to be trustworthy with our life? He's worthy of our trust. He's worthy of your trust. You may, you may be on the fence, and you maybe you've been on the fence for a while now. You've been coming here, you've been listening, and you've been on the fence, oh, if I, if I give my life to, to the Lord, what about this? If I give my life to the Lord, what about, what about that? If he is in, he, he, he called the shots on his own life. And when he said, I, I'm giving it to you, God, that's when he died. How much more can he help your life? How much more is he, can he be trusted to help you with your daily problems? And for the, the problem of your sin. He's solving, he's, he's in control. If you're not saved this morning, I want to challenge you with that thought. Don't walk out different. Don't walk out the same. Walk out different than you came in. Why why don't you just give your life to the Lord? Again, maybe everybody in this room is saved. I don't know. Maybe you are. But maybe the Lord's been speaking to your heart. Maybe it's just time to say, here it is, God. My life is yours. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for this time. And we ask, God, I I thank you for the patience of those that are saved here. We just ask, Lord, maybe... Maybe there's somebody here that is not saved. Oh, would they have the courage today, Lord, to give their life to you, to submit their life over to you, Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand to your feet as we, as we pray together? If you want to come to the altar and pray for somebody, perhaps there's somebody here this morning that is not saved, we'd love to talk to you. We'd love the chance to be able to, to show you in the Bible how you can receive salvation through Jesus Christ. Would you have enough courage this morning to say, I'm done playing games, I'm coming. Would you come to the front this morning as an act of saying, I want to be saved? Anybody like that this morning? Others may come just to pray. You can come now. Jesus said, it is finished. It is done. The work is complete, but you have to reach out your hand. You have to reach out your heart in faith to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. If that's you, you come up to the front and we'd like to talk to you. And others are praying.